It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to the show. I am amped up to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Tim Wackel, a top sales trainer and a leading expert on making better sales presentations. You know, I like to teach sales reps that the best way to start a sales conversation is to ditch their elevator pitch. I mean, why do you want to put the focus on you and your product when you don't even know what the customer needs or wants? And sales is certainly a service business, and you can't provide a service to your customer in the form of helping them understand the requirements and collaborating with them to determine the highest value solution if you're doing all the talking. So I heard my guest today give a talk last week called Stop Pitching, Start Solving, How to Help Customers Discover What They Really Want. And I thought, wow, this is such a great a great problem that sales reps seem to always encounter. And maybe we can give them some clarity on how they should be approaching that. So today my guest, Tim Wackel, is going to help us sort this all out. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. Thanks so much for having me. So just take a minute, sir, give us a little background on yourself. Uh, so, Andy, I spent the first 17 years of my career in corporate America uh, as, a, as a sales leader, building, managing, and growing sales organizations. And it's hard to believe, but 15 years ago, I kind of had the opportunity to go out and do something different and um, used to hire guys like you and I, guys that were sales coaches, guys that were sales trainers, guys that came in to do sales keynotes. And I just thought, what a fantastic way to, uh, to kind of give back and help a lot of sales reps. Uh, throughout the course of a year. So for the past 15 years, you know, I come alongside different organizations who, like you said, want to put together uh, a more compelling message, want to do a better job of asking better questions, want to be uh, better at building those kinds of relationships. And so uh, my focus today is really kind of helping reps become exceptional at, at the fundamentals because the fundamentals, in my opinion, is where it's really all about. Oh, I agree. Right. I mean, if you've read either of my books, you know, that's exactly what I talk about. You know, how, do you, how do you execute the, the fundamentals? Because it doesn't really matter what sales methodology you use. If you're not executing the fundamentals, you're going to be in trouble. Well, exactly. You know, I, I get into this uh, conversation with a lot of clients, a a a Andy, that come in, and you probably get the same thing. Hey, Tim, we really want you to come in and talk about process. Process is real important. And, and, and like you write about in the book, a Andy, process is important, but process is a playbook. And, and to use the worn-out sports metaphor, I Go mean, if we, if we have a great play in the playbook – but we can't get the ball from the center to the quarterback, it doesn't matter. You, you know, we got to be able to block and tackle and, you know, get a successful snap of the football. And without those things, I don't care what the play looks like. And most organizations I work with, man, if they just got the fundamentals right, they could really, really rock the world. Well, I think let's start with this whole idea of pitching that you talked about in the presentation you gave last week is, you know, when sales reps go in that first, first time they open their mouth with the client and they start pitching their product, yeah, you know, there's assumption in there on their part that somewhere there's there's something in there for the customer that they don't really know, right? They're just sort of fishing. Yeah, there's an assumption. It's one of the two things, maybe, Andy. I don't know. It's an assumption that maybe uh, that there's something there the customer's going to like, or, or perhaps maybe they're just a little bit lazy. Um, and I don't mean that in a nasty way, but I, I get I get approached frequently by salespeople who have no idea what I do. And right away, they want to uh, close for a, hey, w would you be willing to jump on a, on a webinar with me next week for 30 minutes so I can show you what our product does? And it's like, <laughs> why would I care? I mean, number one, do you guys even know what I do? Because I could probably help you. And, and number two, why would I even agree? You haven't, you, you haven't earned the right to pitch. And to me, that's the biggie. You have to earn the right 
to share ideas. And until you've done that, quite frankly, I'm not interested. And some of the most egregious offenders are some of the biggest companies that you would think would be the most well-trained. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, and it happens all the time. I I actually was uh, in a live chat uh, earlier this week, Andy, with a with a very large uh, Fortune 100 company, and you know I'm doing a live chat because I'm I'm going to do a little bit of business with them. It wasn't a big transaction, just just a credit card type transaction. But you know I, I asked a, a question, and and the agent came back and said, "Man, I'd I'd love to assist you with that." And I'm thinking, "Great, we're we're just going to get this done. We're going to get some work done. We're going to get this order placed. I'm going to get what I need." And then the next thing the agent does, he says, "Hey, let me share a little bit about blank with you first. And, and no, I, I got a screenshot of this. Then it comes back, and he says, "But wait, I'm selling you something." <laughs> blank is a company that does this, 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 this. I mean, he gives me like a paragraph, and it's like, and his name's Kevin, and it's like, Kevin, stop, Kevin. I want to give you an order, and, and you're not willing to take it because you're you're trying to give me a commercial. I mean, dude, I've already decided. Just take my credit card number. And so, yep, big or small, trained or untrained. Newer seasoned, a lot of reps struggle with this. So why are they falling into that trap? You talk about laziness, but I mean, is it something more? Is it is it just is it a lack of training? Is it this gravitating to a, what they think is a comfort zone? Yeah, I think there's several things, Andy, and, and I think that what you've mentioned is a couple of them. Uh, sometimes I think uh, guys and gals fall into the trap that there's just not enough time. Uh, you know, somebody will call and say, hey, you, you got 10 minutes, pitch me your ideas. And you know, back in the day, I'll be honest with you, I'd take that bait, and I would just spew, hoping that something would resonate. And now today, if I get the quote-unquote, hey, you got 10 ideas, pitch me your ideas, it's like, listen, um, I I can use these 10 minutes, and I can pitch something really generic, and it's really not going to have any value for you, and it's probably just going to waste both our time. But if you would allow me to take five minutes to ask you just two or three main questions – then I think I can take the remaining five minutes and really kind of articulate something that might be of more interest and have more value. So trying to get around this concept that there's there's not enough time. And then you pointed out something else. It's kind of a lack of training or maybe a lack of mindset. Um, two of the questions I love to ask reps is, uh, number one, how much time do you span, spend planning and preparing for each and every sales conversation? And, and it's it, 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 little or not enough because in right. today's world, you know, we got a lot of people that are still just preaching connects. Just make them dial. Smile and dial, baby. And it's like, you know, I thought that was behind us, but okay, so you're not spending enough time planning. And then the follow-up question, Andy, is out of the time that you do spend planning, what percentage of that time is focused on here's what I'm going to say versus what percentage of that time is focused on here's what I'm going to ask? So if there is any planning going on, the vast majority of it is, you know, we're bag diving for literature because we're going to want to share this, that, and the other thing versus saying, hey, given where I am in the sales cycle – what would be two or three really meaningful, powerful questions that would help me advance my cause? And, and so just being aware of that I, I think would go a long ways towards helping us not pitch prematurely. Yeah. My, in my most recent book, Amp Up Your Sales, I talk about that specifically. Is that you have to have a value plan for every call, right? Every customer interaction, what's the value you're going to deliver in terms of a, a great question, an insight, uh, information maybe the customer needs? But what are you going to consciously deliver that's going to help them move somewhat forward in their buying process. Exactly. And, and what's really important, and I love the way you, you talk about this, is value is defined in the eyes of the beholder. So, so value to me might be, Andy, I get you to agree to a meeting, 
but that's not the value we're talking about. The value no. is key. When, I, when I'm talking to my client at the very beginning of the conversation, Mr. Customer, my goal for this call today is for us to get to here. D- does that sound like a fair goal to you? Is that what you want to see? Is that what you want to accomplish? Because once you get them on board, I mean, once you get customers and clients on board, you know this, it, it, selling is a hoot. It's, it's fun because they are dragging you through the sales process because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they just love what you're doing. And it's like, I would much rather do that. I'd much rather pull a rope than push a rope. After 30 years, pushing a rope is no fun. So why not learn how to pull a rope? And I think planning, preparing, engaging, those are some of the basics that have to happen. But it still seems like one of the real sort of shortcomings that we talk about all the time is this inability to really ask great questions, right? Mm-hmm. Sales reps hugely scripted these days. We're going to give you that one question to ask, but it's really not the first question. You know, my early mentor in sales taught me that you know it's, it's the second and third question are the most important ones. Right, because you know that first one's just sort of it's standard. You bet. So it's how you react to the information you receive from the prospect. So how do we how do we train sales reps? How do you train sales reps to become better at asking questions? So that's that's a great question. To your point, I think you have to have that go-to question, a handful of go-to questions. I'm not talking dozens. If you have three or four really uh, well-designed, thought-out, thought-provoking questions. You can launch a 45-minute dialogue, but it's not just that question. It's, it's what do you ask after that, and it's this ability, Andy, to, to listen and, and to layer down and to be curious and to not make assumptions because way too often you know, we hear sales reps asking like, here's a simple example, what? So, so, so tell me, Andy, what are your goals next year? Well, Andy, you tell me what your goals are, and I think, okay, I know what but, – but, but the what's not important. I want to know the why. Hey, Andy, what are your goals next year, and why are those your goals? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I need to know, are these really your goals, Andy, or did your boss shove these down your throat? Right. I mean, that's two completely different scenarios. So being able to, to, to be curious and, and to really understand what's, what's the why behind the what. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. How about the why behind the what? So how do you, how do you get this – to me, the the big challenge is, is it's not the great sales performers, right? If, you know, if you're a business manager, business owner listening to this, it's not your top guys that, yeah, they'll benefit some from training, but the marginal improvement you'll get from them is be less than if you really focus on these this middle class, this middle group of performers. How do you how do you teach these people? And how do you make it stick? Right, this whole idea about asking better questions, being in the moment, listening, you know, not not thinking ahead to what you're going to say next listening and then sort of synthesizing what the customer says and, and transforming that into a good question. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think there's, there's, there's training that needs to uh, take place. I think uh, our leaders today need to be able to model that behavior. Um, and, and then it's, it's, it's just like the shampoo bottle, right? Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. You, you, you don't get better overnight. You get better night by night or something like that. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the bottom line is you, you just don't wake up. You don't buy a book on questioning and wake up and go, okay, I'm really great. Cause there's tons of great books on nothing but asking great sales questions. Exactly. But, but I, I think I might've said this during the program, uh, that you, you participate in it, Andy, here's the deal. Your goal with, with questions is to disturb and to enlighten. And, and when you're asking the right kinds of questions, two things will happen. Number one, there's going to be pause. Because when you ask questions that everybody else is asking, man, they're going to fire back the response because this is that you're not treading new ground. But when you ask questions in such a way that they haven't heard it like that before, number one, there's going to be pause. And then number two, the first words out of their mouth are, huh, you know what? That, 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 that's a good question. And, and when you're getting pause and for them to tell you that's a good question – as we say in Texas, now you're in tall cotton. You, yeah. you know, this is where you want to be. Yeah, and I, 
yeah, I call that a killer question, right? If you force the customer to stop and think, then that's a good question. You know, if they've heard it from everybody else that's come in the door, all the other, all your competitors and so on. Yeah. Yeah. They'll answer it, but you know, you're not standing out at all. You're not helping them plow new ground. Well, to stop and think, and then part of that stop and think, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier, be comfortable with silence. Uh, oftentimes, and I'm, I'm as guilty as the next guy on this one, Andy, is I'll ask a question, and, and the client will answer the question, and I'm so anxious to go deeper, to go wider, to take new ground, um, that, that a skill that I really, really try to work on, and it's very difficult just based on how God wired me, but you know, when they're done giving you that answer, uh, you know, two, three, four seconds of just silence is really a good thing because uh, it shows, number one, that you're kind of soaking it in. So I try to take notes because that helps slow me down a little bit. But I'm always amazed in that silence, the comfortable, uh, the, the customer goes, oh, oh, wait a minute, and? And there's two or three more nuggets that always dribbles out. So it, it's kind of being patient and and being curious and not trying to rush through the discovery process but you know discovery is like closing you need to do it early you need to do it often always 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 ask the question yeah well another technique i I just saw online recently which i thought was very clever was you know yeah you pause you wait for that silence after you've asked you know gotten the answer from the customer and then this technique this uh gentleman's name i forgot offhand was was talking about us ask them a question so uh well, tell me more about that, right? So reflect on that. All right, so you say that you know, this is a, an issue for you that you want to address. So tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like another question almost, right? Well, it, it, it is. Uh, something we've been teaching Andy that's kind of fun is is, is simply, uh, it, and it's just a one-off what you're sharing, uh, look at the customer and go, um, and, and, and what else? Because mm-hmm. often, mm-hmm. oftentimes we ask the question, blah, 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 and we go, okay, so is there anything else? And the customer goes, no, that's what I told every other rep. But when you ask the question, they go, blah, blah, blah. And then you look at them and you go, okay, so uh, what else? <laughs> you know? I mean, once in a while, they're like, hey, Scooter, that was everything. Did you not understand? <laughs> but oftentimes, like over half of the time, more stuff comes out. And it's just, you know, you just, you got to be patient. You got to be comfortable. You got to be confident. Yeah, it's sort of a, almost a variation on the why question, right? Exactly. It's just another way of saying it, maybe a little more refined. Tell me more or, yeah, what else? Yeah. Yeah, I like that because it, again, forces them to go back because they never give you everything in the first response. And and the other thing that you and I have talked about before, too, is you've got to be willing to ask the hard questions. I was uh, – the AAISP had a, a, an event here in Dallas yesterday, and I was, I was talking with somebody over the lunch hour, and they were bemoaning the fact that there's this opportunity in their pipeline that's been in their pipeline, and, you know, they just, just can't get it to move forward. And the customer's, you know, polite, and he's returning their calls, but, you know, he's playing dumb, and it's like, what, what would you suggest? And it's like, well – did, did you ask the magic question? And the guy's like, well, what's the magic question? I think for every opportunity in your pipeline, you need to ask, okay, help me understand what bad thing is going to happen if this deal doesn't close when you're telling me it's going to close. And, and, and none of us want to ask that because we're afraid of bad news. And I'm like, no. And, and you know, If you ask a customer, hey, what, what, what bad thing is going to happen if you don't have me as your keynote speaker next month? Well, gee, I don't know, Tim, nothing. That's, you know, doesn't sound like a lot of motivation. <laughs> and, and so we've we got to be able to not only look for the good news. But or an indictment to, of your presentation. Yeah, yeah exactly. You've got to be willing to go for a no. I mean, you've got to ask happy questions. You've got to ask sad questions. You've got to ask easy questions, hard questions. Just ask questions. Well, I like this idea. You, you brought this up in the presentation I saw, but ask questions that go for the no. So tell people what you mean by that. 
Well, way too often as salespeople, Andy, I think we, we ask questions that uh, are looking for a positive response. We're asking questions that are really biased by what we hope to hear. And the example I gave, which I think a lot will resonate with a lot of people, is if I ask a customer, well, gee, would you like me to go ahead and put together a proposal? The vast majority of customers are going to say yes. And then the example I gave was if, my, if the customer I'm dealing with thinks I am just aces, that I really understand his pains and I've really got a great sales training program for him and he thinks I'm a good fit culturally and from a background and experience standpoint and I say, hey, would you like me to go ahead and put together a proposal? He's going to say yes because he truly does want a proposal. If on the other hand, I'm calling on a customer who thinks I'm a complete knucklehead. You know, I was late for the call. I'm not very well prepared. I'm talking too much like we've just talked. I'm not asking him questions. He doesn't like my experience. He doesn't think culturally it's a good fit. And if I ask that customer, gee, would you like me to go ahead and put together a proposal? He is probably going to say yes as well because he's just looking for an excuse to get out of the call. To excuse to get out of the call or maybe he needs to get two or three bids and why not get one from you, right? Yeah, yeah, column fodder. I'm going to be column fodder. And so what we talked about is instead of looking for a yes, you look at the customer, you go, man, listen, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, but I kind of sense that putting together a proposal is still a little bit premature. What are your thoughts? And, and some people might be throwing their arms going, oh, my gosh, how can you do this? It's like, look, you're going to win either way because if a customer loves you and you say, man, I'm sensing it's still premature. What are your thoughts? That customer is going to come back and go, no, man, it's not premature. Let me tell you why I want a proposal. Let me tell you why I want a proposal now. Let me tell you what's going on. And it's like, wow, this is kind of fun. Well, let me tell you what we need in that proposal. Exactly. But if, on the other hand, the customer thinks you're a knucklehead and you say, hey, would you like me to put together a proposal? I sense it's still a little bit premature. What are your thoughts? You're giving him an easier way to say no. He's not having to say you're a knucklehead. He's going to go, you know what? Yeah, you're right. It's still premature. So it's the old old put the elephant in the room and say, hey, guys, is anybody else seeing this elephant? And if they go no, then you can feel pretty confident there's no elephant. Yeah. I mean customers have very little incentive to tell you no before the end of the day. Yeah. Right? Before the end of the process, they can stop talking to you and they can still let you give a proposal, but they're not going to buy from you. Yeah. So it's no skin off their back. They don't care. They're just going to start ignoring you. That's, and that's exactly right. There's no skin. It's, it's much easier to just let this poor sales rep call repeatedly, email repeatedly than it is to say, look, dude, I think you're a knucklehead. I don't, I don't want to work with you. Yeah. People don't like that form of conflict. So, okay, we're going to take a break. But before we do, I'm going to pose a question for you. It's one I ask every one of my guests. So, and you'll get a second or so to think about it before we come back from the break. So here's the scenario. It's a hypothetical scenario. You've been hired as a new sales manager at a company who really drastically needs a sales turnaround. The upper management highly developed sense of urgency about this. What two things would you do in the first week that could have the biggest impact? So think about that, and we'll talk about it after the break. Be right back with my guest, Tim Wackel. Attention, sales leaders. Would you like to give your sales team the tools to drive more quality connects, scale their outreach, and spend more time selling? Well, you can with LiveHive. Get your ROI. Try it now at LiveHive.com forward slash ROI. That's LiveHive, L-I-V-E-H-I-V-E dot com forward slash ROI. Welcome back. My guest today is Tim Wackel. So Tim, gave you a hypothetical scenario right before the break. New sales manager. Need to do a sales turnaround. What two things could you do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? 
That is a really good question. <laughs> that's, I guess that's why I'm not a sales manager anymore, Andy. Um, you know, this, this, is, this is where the rubber hits the road. I think this is a fantastic question. If I got to come in and turn things around, and, and obviously there will be a lot more than two things to do, but the two things I would probably focus on first, i.e. in that first week, is I think um, if, if we're going to be successful at making numbers from a skills standpoint, and I speak the language of skills, number one, I want to make sure everybody inside that organization has a compelling message. And, and I'm not saying everybody's compelling message needs to be the same. My experience is when you ask most reps today, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about what you guys do. It, 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 is, it, is, a, it, it is an uncompelling, boring, dry commercial. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to be able to articulate a message in such a way that you get uh, what I like to call the Scooby-Doo response. Right, somebody says, hey, well, you, you tell somebody, somebody says, hey, what do you do? You go, hey, da, 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 we, do, we, we specialize in working with executives like you, da, da, da. and the customer goes, er? <laughs> and, and that's that sign that you've kind of earned the right to go a little bit more. So number good, one, good, I think, good sound effect. I I thank you. I, think you need, I haven't done that in a while. I think you need to have a compelling message. And again, it's not one size fits all. There's not a magic uh, recipe, but there are proven formulas for having a more compelling message. So that's the first thing is working on let's get our compelling message put together. And then the second thing that I think produces results very, very quickly, Andy, is most reps, most organizations do not understand the art of follow-up and knowing up, knowing what, what the proper cadence is for follow-up, mm-hmm. knowing what kind of uh, messages you should be using, knowing what kind of mediums you should be using. If your follow-up is not disruptive, um, you're going to die a slow death. And so that would be the one-two punches. Hey, guys, let's all get together. Let's work on our messaging skills. And we know we know from research, we know from statistics, and we know from experience that just because we got a better message, people aren't necessarily going to beat a path to our door. But we need to have that better message to earn the right. And then how do we nurture these things with an appropriate follow-up plan so that eventually they go, you know what? I'm going to give this guy 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Because of the way he's tried to connect with me, I'm going to give him 10 minutes to see where this goes. Yeah, I like it. Very good. Very good. All right, so I want to jump onto something that I heard you talk about last week, and this is sort of a passion project of mine, is you have this uh, 30-20-10 rule for sales reps. Yeah. And this sort of gets into the whole issue of professional development for sales reps, and I, I know this is an important topic for you. It is for me. So tell people what your 30-20-10 rule is. So I just believe that uh, – that I, I'll speak in first person that, that early on in my career, I blamed my lack of success on a lot of different things. So it was the wrong products. It was the competition. I had the bad territory. I had a crappy manager. And then I started making up excuses like, you know, it was the White House. It was Capitol Hill. It was Wall Street. And then it became my wife and my kids. And eventually, <laughs> it's like, dude, you know, all of those things may have some impact on your success, but ultimately – to your point, Andy, you, you just kind of got to work on yourself. And so the whole concept is if you draw a circle around yourself and work on everything inside that circle, do you think you can get better? And the answer is yes. And so the 30-20-10 rule is a real simple uh, piece of wisdom that I share with organizations. And I, I tell folks, look, if, if you want if you want to really get better at just life, which means you'll be a better spouse, a better parent, better salesperson, better leader, better human being, spend 30 minutes a day just getting some sort of physical activity. Uh, and everybody knows – I mean the Surgeon General has my back on this one – when I get 30 minutes of good exercise every day, my stress level goes down, my creativity goes up, I'm more focused, I sleep better at night, uh, my, my cholesterol, my blood pressure. I mean, life just goes better. And, and as a salesperson, 
it is real easy to make excuses. Andy, you got the same life as mine. It's like, really seriously, I got to put tennis shoes and a, and a wet, sweaty, you know, gym top in this bag. Yeah, you do. Because if you don't, you're going to end up down at the bar. You're going to end up watching stupid TV. It's like, go and get the exercise. So 30 minutes a day is all about exercise. The 20 minutes a day is just kind of a, a pet peeve of mine is 20 minutes of reading. And it's not so much that I want you to read. It's, it's not fiction. I want you to go read something so that you continue to learn. And, and, and for me, it's reading. I mean, I can watch things and listen to things. But for me to retain the best, this is how I'm designed, I have to read. So we really encouraged all of our reps to read. Because if you read 20 minutes a day and you do it five days a week at the end of the year, you're going to have read on average over 20 books. So if you read 20 books on any one particular topic, all of a sudden you kind of become like an expert. Well, so you certainly got to know a lot more, right? Well, yeah. And, and you take, know, we'll take one thing out of each of those books. Amazing. And people, yeah, and people like being around people that are smart. I mean, it's not like you have to be around somebody who's a wizard, but I find it fascinating when I'm at a networking event or working with a client. Somebody knows a lot about you know, uh, early history of the world. Somebody knows a lot about the Civil War. Somebody knows a lot about space. And I'm just drawn to those people because, like, man, dude, that's, that's really pretty fascinating. And to your point, if you got one nugget, out of 20 books, I mean, that's 20 more nuggets than you got today. And, and Andy, you know as well as I do, you don't have to master 100 things to be great. It's, it's three or four. Th- I mean, you know, I play a lot of golf, grip, stance, ball position. You get those three right, you got a real good chance of playing some great golf. So the 20 minutes is making sure it's each and every day you're engaging your mind. And then the 10 minutes was um, 10 minutes of journaling, which is where I, I f- mentally check out and 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 spend 10 quiet minutes and and when i first started this it was hard to spend 10 quiet minutes i'd get about 90 seconds in and i'd look over to see if i had any new email because <laughs> because being alone with your thoughts for 10 minutes can be kind of scary but when you're alone with your thoughts you start wondering things like gosh you know in the last 24 hours what's one thing i've done that i'm really proud of um in the last 24 hours if i could have a do-over what do-over would i want and why you know, uh, today in the next 24 hours, what's the number one thing I really want to? What's the number one thing I really want to accomplish? Because when we don't think about those things, it's really easy to get caught up in, or for me anyway, how I'll pick up the dry cleaning. I'm going to get some milk. I'll walk the dog, and then that 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 book proposal or that uh, or that new module for a client doesn't get done because we're just letting it slip and slip and slip. So the journaling kind of keeps me accountable to me. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Actually, yeah. I want to focus on the 2010 part for a second because I sure. think that's that's to me the power of that is really amazing, right? If 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 a sales rep, sales manager, business owner, whatever, you know, to spend 20 minutes a day reading a book about their subject matter, their field of endeavor, yeah, think about it. Anybody that reads 20 books about anything in a, in a certain area is going to know so much more, right? They're going to be given ammunition they can use to integrate into their work daily workflow test new things, new theories, just become smarter, more practical in what they do. So I guess the, the question I'd have is, is, we always seem to ask sales reps to do this outside work, right? Do it on their own. But have you seen any companies that institutionalize this, that say, okay, we're going to set aside 20 minutes a day for our sales reps to read. And we're going to do it during business hours, because this is important. Because this, you know, I could, I could spend $50,000 to bring a sales trainer in, Right. Or I can spend a couple grand to buy 20 books for every sales rep and, you know, give them time to read it. Yeah. I, I, have, it, I have not seen a company do this, Andy. When I was running sales teams, this is something we really encourage guys and gals to do. 
And so, you know, if, if, if on, you know, Mondays were usually office days. So if Monday all of a sudden you went to the locker room and you changed and went for a run, I, I didn't care. And matter of fact, well, I shouldn't say I didn't, I cared because it's like, hey, this person is, is getting away from the bullpen for 30 minutes, 45 minutes just to go for a walk, go for a run. Um, but you, no, you you do not see organizations uh, reinforce this, and and I don't know. Maybe part of it is because, like you said, the twenty and ten are tough. I mean, when you're in a sales environment, or most of the sales environments I've been in are are so loud, and there's so much activity going on that to really get quiet with your thoughts could be a challenge. And and reading to me, I, I need a quiet space. So I, the reading and uh, the the twenty ten for me have to happen first thing in the morning. So I'm down in the office usually between 5 and 5.30. It's quiet. I open up the windows, nice cool breeze this time of the year. Because um, if I if I tried, in all honesty, Andy, if I tried to do the 2010 right now in the middle of the day, I would fail because I'm already going 100 miles an hour. Hmm. That's almost like recess for kindergartners, right? <laughs> it, it, it is. I mean, it's great. It would, it, would be, it. it would be a great thing to do during the day. I mean, again, think of the trade-off. Yeah. If you're a manager, it's like, I'm going to spend this money to bring these outsiders in to do a one or two day training that they're going to forget ninety percent of within thirty days. Yep. Or we can just have this program where you know, we spend twenty minutes, just twenty minutes a day, because we all know that in every salesperson's day there's twenty minutes of time they're not doing anything. Oh, exactly. That would be perfect for this. Well, and the brilliant part about your your hypothesis here is that if um, even if people are reading the same book uh, and, and they're reading the exact same amount in twenty minutes. Everybody is going to take something different out of that 20 minutes, and th- and that's what's great is that you know one person is going to say, hey, this idea, this thought, this concept really resonated with me. A little voice inside my head said, I need to do this, and somebody across the aisle is going to go, no, 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 it, it was this idea, this concept, this thought, that-. and that's to me that's what makes learning kind of viral. Is you can't mm-hmm. tell people go do this. You really want people to tell themselves, "Hey, I this is cool. I want to I want to check this out. I want to I want to go experiment with this. I want to see what kind of results I can generate using this new idea." So I I can't argue with you. Okay. Well, good. Well, you can, but it's my show. So, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, we're moving to the last segment of the show. I've got some rapid fire questions for you. You can give me one word answers, or you can elaborate as you wish. So, totally up to you. Okay, you ready? You bet. So, what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? Ability to ask questions. Name the one tool you use for managing your sales that you can't live without. Excel. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's funny how many people say that and then start say apologetically, I'm sorry, it's Excel. <laughs> I'm old school, brother. It, it works. <laughs> it works. That's right. And you use it, which is more important. Yeah, exactly. So who's your sales role model? Uh, I, I had two. Uh, one guy by the name of Henry Potts, who was an early sales manager of mine at HP, and one guy by the name of Jerry Acuff, who I've had the pleasure of being able to get to know a little bit better over the last 12 years. And those two guys, I think, are two of the rock stars um, that, that I've tried to learn and model myself from. Excellent. So what's the one book every salesperson should read? Oh, I think your books are outstanding. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and, and I would, Andy. I mean, I'm not trying to plug you. I, 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 you know, I think that's why you and I met, and there was an immediate chemistry. Uh, I, I think your thoughts and ideas, and the way you you go about it, it's just it, it, it is what it is. And so, if and the good news is, if, if what I tell people: look, you buy a book you don't like, it's not resonating with you. That's okay. Give it away. Go buy a new one. I mean, Amazon is our gift. You can have <laughs> it. Is. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of books. I've got probably 500 sales books on my shelf here. 
and and you know, out of the 500, there's probably 80% of them that I really liked and read to completion. And there's probably 20% that I thought this is total crap, but I'll keep it on my bookshelf anyway because it looks interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got those on my Kindle, but they're my iPad actually. But uh, yeah, I've probably got the same 500. Well, thanks for the plug. That's that's nice. I mean, for people who don't know, zero time selling and amp up your sales. Go to AmazonAndyPaul.com. Um, all right, tough question. This is maybe the hardest one of the day. So what's your favorite music to listen to to pump yourself up for an important meeting or sales call? Smooth jazz. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, you can't make that stuff up, Andy. No, I, I, I don't want to get pumped up. I want to be uh, – my. I have a tendency to go over the top, uh, so I don't need to be Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men. <laughs> I you, need- you do tend to talk a little rapidly, right? So you could – Talk yeah, even I, faster. I, I don't want to go Colonel Jessup on somebody. So I, <laughs> I, I like to listen just really like some smooth jazz or some classical jazz, uh, something with no uh, uh, no voice. What I'm trying to say, no lyrics. I mm-hmm. just like acoustical jazz, and uh, I don't know if it pumps me up, but it kind of calms me down. And I think, hey, you know, if I do this right, I can afford a, a trip to my local pub to enjoy some jazz and a nice scotch. Sounds great. Well, I know that you like your scotch. So, indeedy. What's the first sales activity you do every day? Really, the first sales activity I do every day is really looking at what my goals for the day are, and and you know because a lot of things get dumped into the day, and and then uh, I'm really trying to make sure that I'm looking at what needs to be done with the right lens. And it's this is more than one word answer, but it's I, I really want to make sure that I'm scheduling my priorities versus prioritizing my schedule. So let me say that again. I really want to make sure I'm scheduling my priorities for that day versus just prioritizing my schedule. Right. I like it. Last question. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? The one question I get asked the most frequently by salespeople. Uh, I think it would be, well, yeah, it would be. uh, What can I do to get my customer to call me back or respond to my emails? How can I get get them to pay attention to me? And your answer is? Uh, Most customers, reps will say they're not getting back to me because uh, I think they're just not interested. And my answer is, I don't think your customer's not interested. I think perhaps you're not interesting. Great answer. Great answer. Yeah, I I wrote a blog about this recently (laughs) called Who Cares About You? Which is, you know, how do you make yourself interesting? Why should somebody care about what you're interested in or what you're selling? And it gets to the more, what's the old adage? They don't. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. So the way, way to be interesting is you plug yourself in other people. Hey, congratulations. I love your book. Uh, that's a great looking tie. Uh, I love your book. I mean, it, it's all about being others focused, and that is full-time work for, for mankind. Yeah. Well, I think one, one way, another way to think about it too, because we talked about the value of questions, got this from a previous guest. He had talked about how what he does to practice asking questions is he'll go to like a social event and he'll see how long he can talk to somebody he doesn't know only asking questions. Wow. That's, you know, that's great. That's greatness. Because I always tell people, you know, just get around somebody who's six years old. Yeah. <laughs> right? How and that works too, day? right? How was your day? Fine. What are you doing tonight? Nothing. Uh, what are we having for dinner? Lasagna? Or right. a teenager, right? Put, teenager. Yeah, put, Teenagers are the best. Put your mother on the phone. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. Well, Tim, I want to thank you for being my guest. My guest today, Tim Wackel. Tim, tell folks how they can learn more about you. Uh, Visit the website at timwackel.com. That's T I M W A C K E L.com. Or call me direct at 214 369 7722.
Great, thank you. And remember, everybody, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that. Then you'll make sure you don't miss any of our conversations with top business ex experts like our guest today, Tim Wackel, who share their experience and expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.